This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. This show is brought to you by the Buddhist Youth Association every Sunday, bringing Buddhism to the community of the Waikato. We also give away a range of free English or Chinese Buddhism books, MP3 or tapes on Buddhism. If you'd like one, please send a letter with $3 worth of stamps in an envelope to P.O. Box 82146, Highland Park, Howick, Auckland. Or you can phone 092713377. Buddhist Youth Association, respectful, beneficial, empowering. Hello once again and thank you for joining the program today. In our examination of the eight verses of mind training by Lungri Tampa, we've come to the seventh and penultimate verse, which is mainly on the practice of Tong Lin. As this verse styles itself a summary of the previous six verses, let's remind ourselves of all those verses leading up to it. They read, Determined to obtain the greatest possible benefit for all sentient beings who are more precious than a wish-fulfilling jewel, I shall hold them most dear at all times when, in the company of others, I shall always consider myself the lowest of all, and from the depths of my heart hold others dear and supreme. Vigilant, the moment a delusion appears in my mind, endangering myself and others, I shall confront and avert it without delay. Whenever I see beings that are wicked in nature and overwhelmed by violent negative actions and suffering, I shall hold such rare ones dear, as if I had found a precious treasure. When, out of envy, others mistreat me with abuse, insults or the like, I shall accept defeat and offer the victory to others. When somebody whom I have benefited and in whom I have great hopes gives me terrible harm, I shall regard that person as my holy guru. The seventh verse then ties these six verses together like this. In short, both directly and indirectly, I offer every happiness and benefit to all my mothers. I shall secretly take upon myself all their harmful actions and suffering. This giving our happiness to others and taking on all their suffering is exactly what Tong Len practice aims at. In fact, Tong means giving and Len means taking, although in the actual practice we start with the taking. However, before we continue with this discussion, let's set our motivation for the program today as usual. As we are talking about Tong Len, and Tonglen is very much a practice associated with bodhicitta, the wish to attain enlightenment to benefit all beings in all ways, let's make bodhicitta our motivation today. As I've pointed out in previous programs, bodhicitta is very vast, because its focus is very vast, that is, all beings, not excluding even one. Tibetan Buddhism emphasizes developing bodhicitta above everything else because of this. So if we can make this our motivation today, it'll be excellent. Let's try anyway. But those who find it too much could at least think of their own liberation from all suffering and motivate for that. The least motivation is to have good coming lives. But as you can see, that's very limited. When those lives are over, so is the benefit, and suffering lives will just follow. So let's try for something a little bit better than that. Either our own liberation or much better, the liberation and enlightenment, as well as the temporary well-being of all beings everywhere. 
Thank you. Now, harking back to the story about Jamyang, you can see how, in a very practical way, he takes on the suffering of others and works to give his happiness to them. Of course, he could have just focused on his own well-being, maybe feeling compassion and empathy for the three Indian boys, but not enough to do anything to help them with their hunger. But he took that first step of making them lunch, and that led to many other steps, basically giving up his own ease so that he could relieve the misery of the shanty people of Dharamsala. As I said, this is a very practical application of Tonglin, and Jamyang himself admits that he doesn't do any meditation. But there's a whole tradition around this practice of giving happiness and taking on sorrow. You may also remember from our discussion of the three principal aspects of the path, we also went through a rather beautiful teaching on Tonglen by Pema Chodron. Now, I'm not going to go through that teaching again, but I have also found another more brief and practiced related teaching on it that I think will be useful here. Pema Chodron here talks about three levels of Tonglen and says this. First, I'd like to talk about the different styles of Tonglen the very simplest style, which I think would be helpful for every single one of us, and something well worth cultivating in one's life, is taking a Tonglen attitude towards pleasure and pain whenever it arises in your life. I've gotten into the habit of doing this meditation, she writes, although I don't always remember to do it. But more and more, it's becoming spontaneous and natural. When things are painful, when things are difficult, usually that, in and of itself, would remind me to do Tonglen meditation. The quality of difficulty, struggle, pain, dissatisfaction or unpleasantness would remind me to have the simple thought, other people feel this. Now that may sound simplistic, maybe not all that important, but believe me, it makes a big difference because the isolation, personal burden, loneliness and desperation of pain gets very strong and you think you're the only one. I've had people actually say to me, I think no one else in the world feels this kind of pain. And then I can say to them with tremendous confidence, you're wrong. But what is not wrong is that we do have that feeling often, that I'm the only one that has this particular pain. So maybe it'll be a challenge to you to say this. Other people feel this, and it may not feel genuine. But even the effort to say this begins to shake up your complacency about pain just being your burden. It shakes it up to contemplate the fact that other people feel this pain too. So this is a basic Tonglin logic. When you feel the discomfort, have the thought, other people feel this. And then, if you want to take it a rather dramatic step further, you can say, may we all be free of this. But it's enough just to acknowledge that other people feel this pain. And the most dramatic and probably most difficult step is to say, since I'm feeling this anyway, may I be feeling it so all others could be free of it. So Tonglen meditation has three levels of courage. The first is to say, other people feel this, and that is enough. But if in that particular moment of time it feels genuine to say, may this become a path for awakening the hearts of all of us, do so. And the one that takes you to the deepest level of courage is, since I'm feeling this anyway, may I feel it so that others could be free of it. Now that is Pema Chodron with some quite practical advice, don't you think? 
when we find ourselves in a difficult situation involving at least some pain, be it physical or emotional, don't we tend to overthink it, that we are the only person in the world to have this dreadful experience? In our own self-centered cosmos, pain can trap us so tightly that it is difficult to even imagine that our experience actually has a universal character. For instance, when I was a schoolboy in South Africa, I had the headmaster as my maths teacher. He was a man we all feared for his quite rigid discipline, part of which was his habit of giving us what he liked to refer to as clobber tests. It was as it sounds like. If you failed the test, you got clobbered. That is, you'd be invited to the headmaster's office where he kept a selection of canes, specifically for the chastisement of those who displeased him. The pass mark for his tests was usually around 80%, and he was not inclined to make those tests easy to get through. That meant that on a few occasions I had to make my way to his office and present my backside for some stinging strokes from one of his canes. I can tell you there was not much in the way of loving about those strokes. I wasn't the only one, though. On the whole, after a test, a motley and miserable team of us boys would have to wend our way to the office where Mr. Ferrandi, the headmaster, would deal with us one by one. Looking back now to the pain and suffering, it didn't seem to actually matter that I had company. I was convinced I suffered the worst, no matter how much discomfort the other boys were obviously going through. And so, for the first couple of times the great man with the bad breath hit me, I wept despairingly. The place of learning, if you can call it that, was an Anglican boys' private school. Of course, we were never introduced to any form of Tonglen, and perhaps the teachers preferred it that way to keep the boys from becoming complacent, but much more prob probably, even they had never heard of the practice. I wonder whether they would have passed the knowledge on if they had known about it. Later in life, after I had learned about Tonglen, I have used it, very effectively in the dentist's chair. I can't say that the dentist's drill ever evoked the same fear and trembling in me as Mr. Ferrandi's lengths of rattan, but having your teeth filled, crowned or extracted is never a very pleasant experience. But even more, I dislike injections. To me they cause more trouble than they relieve. So I now use Tong Len instead. Consciously breathing deeply and thinking of all the beings going through suffering I mentally pray that as I have to experience this pain, may all the pain and suffering of others come unto me, and may they be free. I try to keep this in mind, as the dentist does his worst, trying to make the wish as sincere as possible. I imagine all that suffering descending into the tooth in the form of a black cloud, and all the beings finding relief and happiness as they are freed. This has a surprising effect. Although there is pain, it really doesn't involve much suffering. We tend to think that pain and suffering are the same thing, but they aren't. Pain is sensation, and much of the suffering that comes with it originates from the dislike and the fight against it that our mind engages in, wanting desperately to be free of it. But if we reverse this attitude and do something to actively welcome and work positively with pain, much of the suffering just doesn't arise. That's my experience anyway. Another extraordinary effect I've noticed on this, in this kind of practice has to do with mosquitoes. Sometimes, 
instead of chasing a mosquito away, I will actively invite it to bite me and mentally give it the blood it needs. If I yield my comfort in this way and allow it to relieve its suffering with a gift of a drop or two of blood, the itch that usually comes after the bite just doesn't happen. Now you may not believe this, but it has worked for me. But I cannot have one iota of miserliness, not even the slightest shrinking about giving the blood, the least unwillingness, and the itch will follow the bite. Now these are just some of my own experiences with this practice, and it's not even one of my main practices. In fact, although I motivate and dedicate somewhat weekly for all sentient beings, I don't meditate on Tonglen at all. I have spoken of a much more amazing benefit of Tonglen in some of these programs before. You may remember, one of Lama Zopa Rinpoche's Hong Kong students once told him that he was HIV positive and asked for a practice to help him cope with it. Lama Zopa Rinpoche recommended Tonglen. Some months later, when Lama Zopa returned to Hong Kong and contacted his student, the student told him that after he had done the practice, the doctors had been unable to find the virus in him any longer. He was completely free of it. Lama Zopa was surprised. He certainly didn't expect that result, and surmised that the student must have done the practice very intensely for a very long time. He had done the practice intensely, said the student, to the point that thinking of the suffering of all other sentient beings, he couldn't help but weep from the depths of his heart. But he'd only practiced it for a single weekend. Now, if you don't believe me, you can read Lama Zopa Rinpoche's own account in his book, The Door to Satisfaction. But now let's get back to the eight verses of mind training. In her commentary, the nun Sangi Kadro, author of How to Meditate, a book of this played an enormous part in introducing Western people to Buddhist meditations, says this about the seventh stanza. This verse describes a practice called taking and giving, or Tonglen in Tibetan, she says. This is a very powerful meditation technique used by those who are following the Bodhisattva's path to strengthen their love and compassion and to awaken the mind of enlightenment. It involves imagining that one is taking on the suffering of others and giving to them one's own happiness and virtue. How does this practice work? Well, the main obstacle to developing love, compassion and the mind of enlightenment is the self-cherishing attitude. This is the habitual tendency that we all have to think primarily of our own welfare, happiness, needs and wishes and to neglect the happiness and well-being of others. It is the thought, I want happiness and don't want to suffer, but I don't care about the happiness and suffering of others. This attitude needs to be reversed if we are to reach enlightenment and the practice of taking and giving is a very effective way gradually to overcome self-cherishing and to develop its opposite the mind that cherishes others. When we do this practice of taking and giving, the taking usually comes first. This is because it's difficult for people to be truly happy while they're experiencing suffering. Someone who is very ill, for example, would find it hard to enjoy the things that normally give him pleasure until he regains his health. Therefore, we need to first remove others' sufferings and then give them happiness. We begin by meditating on the various sufferings that other people are undergoing, such as sickness and pain, aging and dying, failure, dissatisfaction, fear, grief and so on, 
and generate a strong, compassionate wish that all beings be free of these sufferings. We then go a step further and feel the wish to actually take their suffering upon ourselves. With this compassionate thought, we visualize all the sufferings in the form of black smoke and imagine drawing the smoke into our heart. At our heart, we visualize our self-cherishing attitude in the form of a black stone or spot. When the black smoke of other suffering is drawn into this black spot at our heart, the spot becomes smaller and smaller until it finally disappears. At that point, we feel joyful, thinking that now all beings have been freed from their suffering and our own self-cherishing attitude has been overcome. Initially, it may be difficult to sincerely wish to take on the suffering of others. We may feel, I can't even handle my own problems, so how can I take on those of others? Because of this, it's often advised to start the practice of taking and giving by taking on our own present and future suffering. The procedure is the same as above, but instead of focusing on the suffering of other beings, we focus on whatever problems and difficulties we are now facing in our life. We visualize taking all these problems into our heart and imagine that doing so diminishes and destroys our selfishness. Then we think of those we can expect to face in the future, such as sickness, loss, conflict with others, frustration and disappointment, growing old and eventually dying, and visualize in the same way. Once we feel comfortable about accepting and transforming our own suffering, we can move on to imagine taking on the suffering of people with whom we are close, such as parents, relatives and friends. Eventually, we'll be able to take on the suffering of strangers and even of those whom we dislike. Sangi Kadra then echoes what Pema Chodron says about the most basic way of practicing Tonglen, just thinking others are suffering this. Whenever we experience a problem, like a physical pain or sickness, or an emotional difficulty such as loneliness, fear, hurt, grief and so on, we usually have aversion to it and wish it to disappear as quickly as possible. She writes, We may also get caught up in self-pity and feel as though we are the only person in the world who is suffering. This is just adding more problems to what is already there and creates a lot of tension in our mind. Instead of this, we can use the problem to open our heart and cultivate compassion. Start by thinking, I'm not the only one who is such a problem. There are many other people, many other beings who are experiencing the same problem, in some cases far worse than mine. Reflect on that for some time. See if you can think of specific examples. Then think how wonderful it would be if all those other people and beings could be free from this suffering. Really feel that compassionate wish. Next, decide to accept your own problem on behalf of all those other beings. I accept this problem, this suffering, and by my accepting it, may all those other beings be relieved of theirs. This method works like magic. It brings peace and spaciousness to our mind, lightens our suffering, and expands our compassion for others. Now, I can personally attest to this, as I told you, with going to the dentist. But Sangi Kadra goes on, If we find it hard to understand the wish to take on others' suffering, we can think of how parents feel when they see their children in pain. Parents have so much love and concern for their children that they cannot bear to see them suffer. They may even feel, I wish I could take away my child's suffering. I would rather experience it myself than have my child suffer. 
When a mother or father has this kind of love, they would willingly sacrifice their own well-being in order to take on their child's suffering and give their happiness in exchange. This shows that where there is strong love and compassion, people are able to generate the kind of selfless attitude expressed in this verse. In fact, we all have this potential. We can all develop universal love and compassion, and we can all develop the sincere wish to take on the suffering of others and to give them our happiness. It's just a question of training the mind. She goes on, After we have visualized freeing all beings from their sufferings by taking those sufferings onto ourselves and thereby destroying our self-cherishing attitude, we turn to giving. For our practice of giving to be powerful, we need first to meditate on loving-kindness, the wish for all beings to have happiness and the causes of happiness. We meditate on loving-kindness until we feel this so strongly that we wish to give our own happiness to others. The actual meditation on giving involves visualizing all the good things we have, our happiness, good qualities, wisdom and accumulation of virtue in the form of light. We then imagine sending this light out to others and when it reaches them, it transforms them into whatever they need in order to be happy. Food for those who are hungry, money for those who are poor, medicine for those who are sick, friends for those who are lonely and so forth. Since everyone needs Dharma in order to attain the highest, most perfect happiness of enlightenment, we also imagine the light transforming into Dharma teachings and visualize that by receiving these, the beings attain all the realizations of the path up to enlightenment. Then we meditate on a feeling of great joy, thinking that all beings are now fully satisfied and perfectly happy. You may wonder why the verse says, All beings my mothers. This refers to the idea that each and every living being has been our mother, not in this present life, of course, but in our previous lifetimes, which are said to be countless and without beginning. In fact, we've been in every possible type of relationship with every living being, but that of mother and child is emphasized, because generally our mother is more important and more kind to us than anyone else. She brings us into the world, feeds us, nurtures us with love and affection, protects us from harm, teaches us basic skills like walking and talking, and so on. Once we realize the vast kindness of our mother and think of all beings as having been mother to us, we will feel closer to them and will want to repay their kindness by helping them as much as we can. When we are more familiar with the practice of taking and giving, we can combine it with our breathing. As we breathe in, we imagine taking in others' suffering, and when we breathe out, we send out our happiness to others. This is an advanced level of practice and a way to create immense merit and get closer to enlightenment with every breath. She then addresses the question of whether by doing this practice you can actually take over someone else's difficulty. Through it, can you actually relieve someone else's unhappiness and give them happiness? The answer, she says, is that it is very unlikely. According to the law of cause and effect or karma, each of us is responsible for our own actions, and thus our own suffering and happiness. No one can take away another person's negative karma and suffering, or give them one's own good karma and happiness. If it were possible to do so, the Buddha would have removed all our suffering and given us the perfect peace of enlightenment long ago. Taking and giving is practiced 
to train our own mind to develop compassion and loving-kindness and to overcome the self-cherishing attitude. By developing our mind in this way, eventually we will achieve enlightenment and will then possess unlimited resources with which to help and guide others to freedom from suffering, karma and delusions. Nonetheless, by practicing taking and giving with sincere compassion and love, we may be able to provide some relief to those who are suffering and help them to feel more calm and peaceful. Thus says Sangye Kadro. In his commentary, His Holiness the Dalai Lama urges caution when we think of taking on others' suffering. He says, When approaching Buddhist practices of this kind, where there is a suggestion that we should take harm and suffering upon ourselves, I think it is vital to consider them carefully and appreciate them in their proper context. What is actually being suggested here is that if in the process of following your spiritual path and learning to think about the welfare of others, you are led to take on certain hardships or even suffering, then you should be totally prepared for this. The texts do not imply that you should hate yourself or be harsh on yourself or somehow wish misery upon yourself in a masochistic way. It is important to know that this is not the meaning. Another example we should not misinterpret is the verse in a famous Tibetan text which reads, May I have the courage, if necessary, to spend eons and eons, innumerable lifetimes, even in the deepest hell realm. The point that is being made here is that the level of your courage should be such that if this is required of you as part of the process of working for others' well-being, then you should have the willingness and commitment to accept it. A correct understanding of these passages is very important because otherwise you may use them to reinforce any feelings of self-hatred, thinking that if the self is the embodiment of self-centeredness, one should banish oneself into oblivion. Do not forget that ultimately the motivation behind wishing to follow a spiritual path is to attain supreme happiness. So, just as one seeks happiness for oneself, one is also seeking happiness for others. Even from a practical point of view, for someone to develop genuine compassion towards others, first he or she must have a basis upon which to cultivate compassion, and that basis is the ability to connect to one's own feelings and to care for one's own welfare. If one is not capable of doing that, how can one reach out to others and feel concerned for them? Caring for others requires caring for oneself. And with that, we must say farewell for another week, for our time is up. Please dedicate any positive potential from our time together today to attaining light enlightenment to benefit all beings everywhere. Thank you, and I hope you'll join us again next week. And until, until then, goodbye. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/slash Free FM eighty nine to find out more.